0: You are listening to the Godarchy Podcast, where we shove a crowbar between state and church. This is the spot where Christian faith intersects with libertarian anarchism and voluntarism. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. In this episode, we're going to talk about science. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Godarchy Podcast. As always, I do very much appreciate the fact that you've taken a bit of time out of your day to listen to the show. As I said in the intro, today we are going to talk about science. I cannot say that without thinking of the Thomas Dolby song, She Blinded Me With Science. I'm actually going to put the video in the show notes page because I think that earworm should be in your head just like it is in mine. Uh, But the other day, I was uh, perusing Facebook, and um, I got sucked into some train of comments, and uh, it was about masks, and somebody posted, well, I wear a mask because of common sense and science. And I thought, you know, just saying science doesn't make something true. It's almost like we, we've we've turned science into this religion or this dogma that just by invoking the word, whatever it is, uh, that ends all debate. And uh, whatever it is that you're applying the science to, uh, the scientific interpretation has to be true. And that's really a misuse of science in my view. And so I wanted to do an episode and talk a little bit about science, kind of dig into this idea of science, because I think... I think at the core, sometimes we're asking science to do too much. You know, there are things that science can certainly tell us. Science is important, but there are things that science can't tell us either. Um, You know, science can tell us uh, the hows of things sometimes, but not necessarily the whys. And so I think it's important to... Put science in its place. And on the flip side of that, I think there are certain circles of Christianity that really denigrate science. And, um, you know, I think that's just as bad. Science certainly has its place, it reveals a lot about the world we live in. So I wanted to talk about it, like I said, but I don't really have any background in science other than the fact that, you know, I took some science courses when I was in college. Um, But, I'm not a scientist by any stretch of the imagination. So I started thinking, well, who in the world can I talk to uh, that can really give a good insight into science? And I thought, I know who? Norman Horn, who is the founder and president of the Libertarian Christian Institute. He is uh, very much a scientist. Um, He actually has a PhD in chemical engineering uh, from the University of Texas at Austin, uh, and a master's in chemical engineering, uh, bachelor's in chemical in, uh, bachelor's in chemistry. Um, he's won numerous awards for writing and research in engineering. Um, he also has a theology degree on top of that dude is like super smart. but I thought this is a great person to talk to about science because he is a scientist. he holds science in high regard. He's also a Christian and I thought, Norman can probably do a good job of helping us put science into a proper context. And indeed, the conversation turned out every bit um, as fruitful as I had hoped it would be. So, we're just going to go ahead and bring Norman on now and talk about the science. All right, Norman, welcome back to the Godarchy Podcast. Hey, thanks, Mike. It's always good to be here with you. Uh, It's always good to be with you together or something like that. Yeah. So this is—I'm uh, not sure where this is going. I'll be honest. We'll let the audience know up front. I'm not sure where this is going. <laughs> but I've been thinking a lot lately about science, and I thought, who do I know that knows something about science? <laughs> and I thought Norman, because sure. you are a uh, chemist. Is that correct? Chemist, right? Well,
1: I'm a little bit of—I'm a little bit of everything. My my professional background is in chemical engineering. Um, but I've also been kind of a chemist as well. Right. those are two those are technically different fields, although they are they are very closely related, right? <laughs> and And educationally, I come from, you know, I do have degrees in chemistry, and even what I did as a postdoc at MIT and in my professional life has been uh, in like flow chemistry
0: and a bunch of different stuff. <laughs> so it's safe <laughs> to say, <laughs> it's very safe to say that you know a whole lot more about science and scientific methods, scientific things than ye old uh, journalist over here. I, I think that would be a fair assumption to make. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so here's kind of what I've been thinking because we've we've seen a lot of talk about science in mainstream media lately. Yeah. Um, you know the whole. We've got to trust the science in yeah. the uh, realm of the coronavirus, and, and I think even before that, uh, with the you know climate change and those types of things. Sure. And my sense is that I feel like a lot of people are asking science to do too much. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Okay, <laughs> good. Good. We're <laughs> we're on the same page then. Um. So, uh, what I want to start with is, um, you know, kind of a meta question: What can science tell us about the world that we live in? That's real meta. Yeah,
1: it's real. That is real meta. Not, not exactly the first question I expected to come out, but I, I think it. the The answer is a lot, but not everything. Right. There's a. There's a. There's a distinct limitation to what the field of empirical scientific knowledge can, uh, can ascertain about the world. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, we could say if, you know, perhaps a little more broadly, uh, cause you know, even doing science, you, you kind of have multiple different methods within that. Um, you could say the mathematical sciences, for instance, and say something a little different. Mm-hmm. It's a very different kind of truth statement to, uh, say that, you know, uh, to, to define the the math behind calculus and integrals and derivatives and things versus here is how uh, the behavior of an atom uh, changes upon the diff- differing types of stimuli. Right. For instance, uh, that's a very that's a very different sort of science in each case. Right. Uh, but th- so there's a lot of different things that we can get out of out of just science broadly speaking, but it doesn't. Say everything, knowing that two plus two equals four, doesn't give you a moral uh, high ground. For instance, against somebody else who is positing that they have the right to do aggression against you, or (laughs) something to that effect. Right. Uh, So there's certain moral judgments, for instance, that we can't really approach just using the scientific method. And anybody who says otherwise is kind of crazy. Right. And there's also problems when you try to apply different methods in realms where they shouldn't be. And this is quite uh, evident in, say, for instance, the Austrian tradition Mm -hmm. of economics, uh, where the differentiation between the inductive method uh, that we practice in the physical sciences suddenly becomes applied uh, by well some i would arguably some rather spurious individuals uh, and and uh people who are interested in malfeasance right. uh into operations where really what you need is a deductive method and that's right. something that you know Mises and Hayek and Rothbard and others in the Austrian tradition have severely criticized and for the listener's sake you know we could say um you know theory and history by mises is a good place to look into that uh, the Ultimate Foundations of Economic Science by Mises, and uh, oh shoot, there's at least the, the book by Hayek, and I have it on my bookshelf. It's about twenty feet away, and I can't remember the exact <laughs> name, um, but I, I'm sure I'm sure that you know we can get it in your show notes or something. There's a plenty. There's plenty of work by Hayek and Mises in this regard, as, as regarding the method of doing science, especially as it pertains to economics right. versus the empirical.
0: Way of doing things in the natural sciences, for instance. Right, right. That makes sense. Just for for sake of um, people that aren't as well versed in such things, can you explain the difference between inductive and deductive? Sure. Yeah. So, uh,
1: I guess you could say there's uh, there's a couple of different things that really set them apart from one Mm -hmm. another. For instance, uh, one way we would think about it is 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 simply the difference between, say, math. Uh, doing math, which right. is you know two plus two equals four, four plus four equals eight, and so on and so on, uh, versus what we do in say chemistry and chemical engineering, where what we are what we are trying to learn via natural phenomena is um, is un- it has a has a degree has a different sort of uncertainty to it. In order to ascertain the truth of a scenario, we're actually trying to um, we're est- we establish hypotheses uh, and and we test whether that hypothesis should or should not be rejected on the basis of the experiments that we've run that attempt to do that attempt to disprove the hypothesis. Right. So it might be, for for instance, it might be something like, okay, uh, let let me, I guess I'll give an example of, of, uh, like what I do even now, which is, uh, I work a lot with, uh, the ultraviolet light disinfection technology. Uh, and so if I want to understand whether or not, you know my LEDs and my in my uh, UV cabinet are operating successfully. I might try to uh, I might try to you know run an outcome test mm-hmm. where I put in bacteria and I see what comes out. Right. There's an uncertainty associated with that because I have to I have to be able to say with some sort of um, with some sort of certainty that what I did had an effect. Right. And how do I do that? Well, I, I set up controls and I set up ways in which I can disprove or eliminate all other possibilities other than that my stimulus actually caused the effect right. that I set out to, to work for. Um, so that's a, di- that's a very different sort of method. That is inductively getting to or backing into the truth rather than going from uh, point A to point B right. to point C right. and we get 2 plus 2 equals 4, 4 plus 4 equals 8 uh it's it's a, it's very different in that regard yeah and the way this applies in economics in particular is that um whenever you have human or purposeful interactions in a, uh, in, a in a scenario such as this um we ha- we don't have the luxury of saying that nature is perfectly regular around exactly it. the yeah. the fundamental uh, and th- and by the way this is a very uh, a very christian insight um from our from you know, from history, mm-hmm. uh, the, let, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to meander around a bit, but we can no, do that. Frank. We do uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the, in, in, in the world of antiquity, they, they thought the world was chaotic. Right. And, and, and there were no, there was no regularity about things it was the, it was the whim of the gods that made things happen right and christianity said no god and well and the we'll just call it the judeo-christian tradition in this mm-hmm. case uh, said no god created the world to be an orderly place right god created the world with regularity god created the world to be understood mm-hmm. and if we have the capa- if it has the capacity to be understood there must be a method by which we can go and understand it right that makes sense and so on the one hand we have the ideas of well, logical deduction, and so we took uh, all the greatest ideas from around uh, the you know around the world at the time, from Arabic numerals and discarding Roman numerals and things like that, right. and taking the sciences that were or, or the the things that were learned uh, from sort of my uh, almost even called them alchemists in a way. Mm-hmm. The 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 pharmac pharma, pharmacaea people and so on <laughs> right. people who worked with medicines and herbs and plants and i mean all sorts of substances to try and pure anyway you get the idea yeah. they, they they bring all this together and they say okay now what we need to do is find is, is develop this the the a method by which we can uh ascertain what we if what we believe to be the case about a certain thing is indeed the case mm-hmm. and that is Essentially, how the scientific method got developed, but it comes from a philo- philosophical background that says the world is knowable. Right. The world is right. is created in a way that uh, that that it, it acts in regularity. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so. But back to the, the, where this, where this kind of differs in, uh, with respect to uh, deductive versus inductive, uh, in, the, in the case of economics, when we start inputting human interactions into it, we no longer have the assumption that can be built into our, into our model right. that, the, that the, this regular world, if I do A, B is going to happen, cause right. and effect. Because if the human uh, variable is, well, humans have, have will. They can make changes, and they can push their will out into reality right. in a way that, you know, a tree cannot, a a uh, a, a ground, a piece of soil cannot, right, uh, and so on. So that's that's really important to remember. Yeah, and thus, if you try to apply uh, the inductive method in order to understand. Um, Human behaviors in such a way, there's only a very limited application to where that really works, Right, uh, which is why Mises and Hayek and Rothbard severely criticized the scientism of their era, uh, which – and those folks who would try to leverage uh, science in this kind of weaponized sense – and say, well, you know, because we can we can adjust our statistics and we can, uh, you know, kind of play around with these models. We can find ways of of, mm. uh, of, of uh, reducing human activity into certain categories or predictabilities. And
0: that's not always the case. Yeah, and that's why they're often wrong. Yeah, I'll give you a good <laughs> example uh, from from the realm of economics uh, that that kind of. I, I, this is where my mind went as you were talking. This and you're thinking about something like the minimum wage. Oh yeah, and, that's and a good
1: one actually for this. Yeah. yeah.
0: So you'll get these, uh, you know, these mathematical charts, and they'll say, "Well, look, we we uh, hiked the minimum wage here, and and we actually saw an increase in employment." Yeah. And the problem with that is there's no way that you can take all of the other factors out of the. There's no way that you can take an economic principle like that and put it in a laboratory, and and. Take that one thing. out. You mentioned the the ultraviolet light. You you can take a certain wavelength of light, and you can take a certain bacteria, and you can isolate those things. You can't isolate a minimum wage. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and 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 then you know, there's all kinds of other factors that can impact the way human beings behave out in the real economy. So yeah, uh, that I think that does a really good job of of limiting. Um, you know kind of showing that limit now let's look at the flip side of that though i think in i really saw it a lot when i was younger so like growing up in the 80s um when hey i grew up in the 80s what do you mean (laughs) well okay so i it depends on when you say growing when i say growing up i'm talking like high school high school college for me my coming of age time sure um you know the in the political world, evangelical Christianity was a very very strong force. I think much more so than it is today. Although I think it's still yeah. it's still there. But um, I think there was a very uh, strong strain of anti science that kind of ran through evangelical Christianity, and maybe still does. I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't pay attention yeah. to that that anymore. But you know this idea that that you know. We talk about I, I mentioned science trying to do too much. I think sometimes people try to make the Bible do too much. Does oh, that make sure. sense? You know. Goodness. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I mean, Genesis yeah, isn't Genesis isn't a physics textbook, right? <laughs>
1: that that is true. It's definitely not. And and people who want to try and make it into that, it's <laughs> definitely have a, a little bit of issue. My my father in law loves to say, uh, you know, the Bible the Bible doesn't teach you how to bake a cake, and it's it was his way of saying that you know you, the Bible has. The Bible has a purpose. Right. The Bible it tells us all sorts of things about history, but it mm-hmm. doesn't tell us everything about history. Right. The Bible tells us all sorts of things about life in the universe, but it doesn't tell us everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and to presume that the om- it, that that is the way that that you know God designed it is kind of is kind of presumptuous upon us in many, in many respects. It's trying to force God into saying certain things that we say are important rather than taking him kind of at his, at his word. Yeah. In in a sense, and not to use a bad pun here. Uh, But yeah, that's, it's very awkward when you try and and do these sorts of things and that man, it, it, it can get really, it can get really awkward. Back in the, in the, I mean, I was a homeschooler. Right. in the '90s, and uh, so that that came, you know, with it. A, uh, and you know, bless us all. There were so many. There were so many great people, and I don't mean by any stretch of what I'm about to say to denigrate my own history and my parents and what we tried to do, right. or anyone who was in from that era. But we did have some blind spots, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and for, oh goodness. I mean, I, I think I've learned a lot since then that I I think we're always, we're always trying to improve. Um, and there were so many great things, but there were some kind of blind spots, Mm -hmm. uh, and even as it pertained to sort of science in general. Now it wasn't necessarily, and here's, here's, I guess an important point here. It wasn't necessarily for a terrible reason. Right. And that's, what's interesting about it. it. It's like, uh, you can kind of see how they got there when similarly we you know even what we were just saying for instance was that there are there are those out there who want to weaponize science sure and and well, do some bad stuff with it <laughs> i will
0: i will take it even a step farther and say that there are some people who want to make science into uh, a kind of religion of its own, you know, oh. with, I mean, with its own doctrines yes. and dogmas and, and uh, you know, moral uh, certitudes and, and all of these type of things. Absolutely. And and so, like, that's –
1: on the one side, we had that kind of push. And on the poll, you know, the reason why I think sometimes that our – you know, my compatriots of the day, uh, you know, behaved in certain ways with regards to science is that they did – they were seeking – at the to the best that they could to honor God in every way that they possibly could imagine. Yeah, and so it all came from good motivations, and uh, and and perhaps some um, rational, uh, some some very uh, prescient ways of, of observing uh, what was going on in the world around. I mean, the homeschool movement really, you know, even was generated by a very libertarian ideal. Sure. Right. Yeah, the the notion that perhaps perhaps it is a bad idea for the government to have control of the education of my children. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you know that that's why it's very interesting to me uh, to to kind of to, to look back on those days. Is that I think that, that there was a there was an instinct or a or a uh, just a way of thinking uh, that they that they approximated very quickly uh, in the homeschool movement more broadly speaking that they're what they were looking at was something that they needed to exit. Yeah, that being the the public school system, right. and and realizing that there was a danger there. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, that I guess getting back to the to the science point, though, is that you know, I mean, in a genesis of a movement such as that, it, it, you're bound to you know have some false starts and missteps here and there, and mm-hmm. you know, one of them was was uh, uh, perhaps not focusing very well. On the you know on the philosophical aspects of what science is and why it works right. and uh, and how and how it works so that we could communicate that to our kids and encourage uh, a greater participation in it right um, because you know you're not gonna you're not gonna go and and take over science by just avoiding it right and you're, <laughs> you know and and I so I think that you know there was a it was really cool though to you know graduate. Uh, at you know, at the time that I did and go into an engineering school uh, where I was surrounded by, you know, a bunch of really smart people mm-hmm. and, you know, and a lot of very smart Christian young men and women right. who, uh, who, you know, were, were great influences and, and really un, kind of, even if we weren't all on the same page, exactly, we were all heading in the same direction. Yeah. And that was super, super important um, to me at the time. So,
0: yeah. So anyway. let, let me throw this out to you. And I don't know if I'm changing the subject or not. Maybe not. But yeah. how do you react when you hear the term settled science?
1: <laughs> I don't really like it because I know how loaded it can be. Yeah. Um, there's a. This is a. It's a really interesting topic to kind of consider because uh, there are things that are more settled than others right because it's it's one thing oh man it like i could i could really go on and on about this but like it's one thing to say that you know the first law of thermodynamics is settled science right it's another to say something like you know uv disinfection Mm -hmm. is uh you know is settled science right it's an you know it's another if you were to try and say well you know modern monetary theory is a settled science. And and it's like – so I don't like that how imprecise it ends up becoming Mm -hmm. because it ends up not really saying very much. right? The crux of it, I think, is that to be in science means inherently to have a bout of skepticism about you. Sure. um, To where – the reason why we would say something is settled is because the evidence is there's a preponderance of evidence toward that toward that conclusion mm-hmm. and the contrary evidence is not favored right and so you know again like if we're talking about thermodynamics for instance i mean there's a reason why we call something a law right of you know is that there is no there is no observed or or even conceivable phenomena that can really contradict it right uh, if it did it would it, the entirety of the of, of Everything would fall apart <laughs> mm-hmm. right <laughs> basically. and that's why we we don't have even as it pertains to things that you know some Christians don't like and uh, you know no. evolution, for instance, is right. there's no laws of evolution or no evolutionary laws right there it's, it is a it's a theory, mm-hmm. but just because it's a theory doesn't mean that it's can, oh well, it's just a theory so we can discard it either right. So it gets into a lot of terminologies that we use and throw around that become I think very problematic. Mm-hmm. This goes interestingly enough, and I, I if uh, <laughs> this goes to something I've said many, many a time. And uh, if you, uh, you know, uh, at, the, at the Libertarian Christian Institute that I'm the president of and all that, I'm sure you kind of said that in the intro or whatnot. Yeah, we t- uh, we told them all that. We stuff. told them all right. Okay, yeah. we told them all.
0: Right. Full disclosure. Full
1: disclosure. All right, cool. Well, a, a while back, you know, Doug Stewart and I did a talk about uh, science and and in. in, uh, in the Use and Misuse of Science in Public Policy as a podcast, and we can probably throw you a link to that yeah, regard. And definitely do that. And I said, this in, so I said this in there, and that at least for me, I was trained very distinctly by my mentors mm-hmm. to be v- as specific as possible in communicating science what I really meant. Right. Being clear about what it is that I know to be true versus this is what i you know i think based on some you know body of evidence but it may not necessarily be certain yet versus i think this might work this is a more of a working hypothesis and needs some additional evidence mm-hmm. and you know to to be that level of certainty needs to be communicated right and the problem is is that when people kind of unqualifyingly throw out, oh well that's just that's settled science. Well, what does that mean?
0: Right. Who who says? Right. I, you know, and, and here's I think really when you hear that term, you're really getting into my world, the world of words, the world of communication, and, and yeah. quite frankly, the world of propaganda. Because yeah. because that that really rhetoric from a political standpoint, that is thrown out there Basically, is a way of ending debate. Yeah, it's bludgeon. Yeah, yeah. So you know, if if uh, if I'm anti whatever, let let's mm-hmm. say um, let's say lockdowns. Yeah, somebody will say, "Oh no, that's settled science." Well, it's clearly not. Yeah. You know, but yeah. Uh, well, but, but but that but that presupposes though, like,
1: what do we mean by settled science? Right. They're they're saying that that by. What they are saying is it is beyond the scope of debate. Right, exactly. We don't have to debate this anymore. There is no uh, – th- this public policy that we're promoting does not have a, a possible rebut. Right. Uh, it has it, – it, it it has the uh, the ability to be presupposed now for further conversation right
0: and i think you know th- that goes back to kind of what we were what we were getting at before yeah. we we talk about science trying to do too much yeah um you know we could let's let's just say that you know all of the um all of the things that we quote unquote know about the coronavirus now mm-hmm. um which i suspect is is less than a lot of people are willing to admit but <laughs> but let's let's just assume that you know whatever whatever they're basing these policies on the mm-hmm. science of that is true it still doesn't necessarily tell you that policy x is the best policy to follow because Correct. then you're getting into uh, you know more of economics in terms of human behavior yeah. and 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 the idea that you have to balance uh risks and consequences and um, and, and things like that, so you're you, you the science may be correct, you know as mm-hmm. far as it goes, but that doesn't necessarily tell you what you should do given that set of circumstances and, oh, and i dude. would go i would I would look at that the other way and 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 say that you know um going back to what we were talking about with the Bible, you know, trying to turn that into a science book is just as erroneous. Um, yeah, because because you're you're trying to do too much. And now I'll pick on the libertarians. I think sometimes <laughs> libertarian philosophy tries to do too much. Oh yeah, you know, we want this we want this philosophy to be the end all, cure all of uh, and answer every question of uh, social interaction. And I don't think you know as great as the non aggression principle is and the idea of self ownership. Th- there are things that we have to wrestle with that I don't know that those things answer those questions. Absolutely. Oh, there's so much to unpack in, in all you
1: just said. All right, pa- I, I want to start unpacking. Go. All right, let's let's uh, uh, let's let's start from the what you last said and work backwards. All right, <laughs> uh, absolutely. In fact, at the LCI, we're very adamant about the fact that libertarianism is not a complete worldview. Uh, that's something that you know. In fact, it's been uh, we've been so adamant about it before even. Things happened like, you know, a debate with Al Moeller, which is now actually going on about five years ago. Right. Uh, which is Gosh, crazy. Has been that long? It's been that long. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> Funny story. I did that. I did that whole interview from my MIT office. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the chemical engineering building at MIT. Nice. It was, yeah. Uh, it's it because I had a landline phone there. Right. <laughs> and it's still disconnected on me. Was, <laughs> of course. It was wild. But anyway. Uh, yeah. the Libertarians are i don't really want to say notorious for trying to extend our theory too far but i i I don't because i don't really think that's true uh but i think we do need to be careful in uh, in in kind of expressing humility right uh for for what we know and what we don't know um it's difficult sometimes to accept the fact that you know what I don't know how this is going to pan out. Right. (laughs) But if I did, it would actually be like, it. it, actually it's a feature and not a bug that we don't know how it would all turn. Right. Because if it, if we did, then that would perhaps suppose that you should put me, the libertarian in charge and run everything. And that would be (laughs) sort of, wait a second. Didn't I just say we shouldn't put (laughs) one person in charge to run everything. (laughs) So it it gets a little confusing in that respect. So expressing that level of humility, I think is important. Um, And, you know. Also, uh, we we tend to try and apply things to you know to every type of edge case in, in <laughs> that's possible, and that's just probably not a good idea.
0: Right. Well, uh, I mean, just looking at ethics, you know, yeah. one of the things that I've I've you know, I'm I'm big on private property. I'm big on private property to the point that I believe that if a if a private business wants to keep my wife and I out because we are an interracial couple. They have every right, quote unquote, yeah. to do that, but that right doesn't make it right. That is yeah. not the right way to treat somebody. <laughs> yeah. So, so libertarian doesn't really tell you anything about necessarily. You know, I mean, yeah. it does when you're talking about the use of force and aggression, but um, sometimes yeah. just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. Yeah. It's an incomplete theory, right. if you will. Right. Uh, but if it were
1: if it were uh, utterly complete, then it would probably be baseless. Right. Uh, but that we we use Goodell's incompleteness theorem to, to go after that one. Maybe uh, No, nah, we won't get into
0: that. <laughs> I don't know what that is, so oh, let's no. not.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, but a philosophical can of worms. <laughs> oh no, that's what we I, do I on
0: the mean. Godarchy podcast.
1: <laughs> to open cans of worms. Yes, and then you just leave
0: them there, <laughs> wiggling, and
1: go on. <laughs> well, and and so that, I think that you know that's kind of an important point. Ultimately, is that you know we we should just as as we would say, as I learned from my mentors, how to be humble in our aspirations of what our of what our data says and what our theories might suppose. Uh, we should be humble in our pronouncements, even as libertarians, mm-hmm. and understandably so. Right, and it's a ver- that would be a virtue. Humility is a virtue. In right. this regard. so that's great. Uh, okay, so backing up, you know, the this idea of scientists running public policy is uh, <laughs> it, it's kind of it's kind of silly when you think about it. Like when you start re- when you start actually kind of realizing what you're asking for at that point, um you realize that it's it's not necessarily a good idea. Yeah. When you let epidemiologists suddenly decide they're going to make all the public policy pronouncements, um uh, that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, I will add, however, that um, you know, in certain cases, uh, at least those people who are epidemiologists, uh, I- even in like the CDC and whatnot, have actually been supposed by many people to be saying more than they actually did. But that's right. a whole
0: other story. Right? Story. Oh, no, I, I totally believe that. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. I, I I'm a journaler, and so as part of my devotional time, I actually typically go back and read last year's journal entry on that date. So of course Ooh. I've been going through now the, you know, the early days of lockdown and, and whatnot. And um, it's interesting reflecting, you know, reading back what I was thinking then in the context yeah. of what you know I, looking back, I, there was a lot of a th- lot of things that I was writing is I don't know how bad this virus really is. Mm-hmm but I do know that locking down society is bad economically, and maybe we should be looking at the at the uh, um, the consequences of this action and balancing those those risks. And that's something that when you get people that are specialized, an epidemiologist, I mean that's they're thinking, Purely in terms of epidemiology, they're not necessarily thinking in terms of what does it mean when you shut down the entire economy. You know, um, again, trying to do too much, right?
1: Yeah, and a good way to think about this, and this is—it's funny to for me to to kind of go this direction a little bit, but you know, not all scientists uh, should be making the business decisions of a scientifically oriented business. That makes sense. Think think about that Mm -hmm. for a sec. Mm -hmm. If you suddenly decided that, oh, because I've got scientific knowledge, I should be put in charge of my company because nanny nanny boo boo, I'm the scientist and the business guy isn't, you know what? That would be a mistake because I might be as right as rain in my conclusions, but if I don't make the right business decision, then I totally hurt the company.
0: Yeah. Okay, I've now got, that seems relatively I've, obvious, right? I've got the perfect example of that. I worked <laughs> for a guy uh, oh. when I when I was in in TV news. Um, the news director came from he was he started out as a cameraman and then got into the production and graphics side and was fantastic at that. Um, if you go back and look at that TV station's derby coverage, I mean, the, the gra- <laughs> everything was amazing, the graphics, the camera work. And he carried that over as a news director, but he was an awful news director because he had no clue how to manage people. Mm. And the fact – they promoted him based on his technical expertise and and – the successes that he had had in those technical positions, and they put him in a position where he was way over his head because he was not a manager, and that's exactly where you're gonna You could take that scientist who is dead on with the science, yeah. but if he doesn't know how to, or she doesn't know how to manage people, and uh, you know, look at finances and all of those other things that go along with running a business, you know, it can, yeah. you can get underwater really fast. Exactly.
1: And I think that sort of illustrates why you can't just assume that because you have the most talented scientists in the world at the top of your you know organization that they suddenly will also have all the insights to make public policy decisions right. as well. And that that was something that I, I think was underappreciated, uh, you know, by by now at this point both administrations. Uh, and that that's you know. Uh, well, and and granted, you know, as, even as libertarians, we don't assume that even the public policymakers can really harmonize all the interests of the society together right. in order to figure out how everything should go. Yeah. Uh, if anything, you know, if, if in my in my estimation, uh, things would have gone a lot better had there been a little more humility. That had been presented by the varying, you know, talk po- talk organizations or whatever, uh, the CDC, the White House, et cetera, right. in the early days, um, and and a la- it just made recommend like just been very clear that like we we're going to make some recommendations here based on what we have so far, mm-hmm. and we you need to understand that the more data we collect, that there's probably going to be some other recommendations that'll be made, and they may look different than what we have now. But here's here's what we got. Yeah.
0: And it probably would have gone a lot better. <laughs> well, you know, if, if just just in doing that, you give yourself an out. Yeah. And I think by by being so dogmatic sometimes and, and you know, this is not just a lesson for uh, pandemic policy. I think this is a lesson for theology and politics in general when you when you get in put yourself in a dogmatic position it's very difficult to back off of that right i mean Mm. just because of human nature and pride it's like well i don't want to admit that i'm wrong yeah and if you admit up front that you might be wrong it's a lot easier to make a shift and say you know what i was right i was wrong maybe we need to you know i I feel like in 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 some senses and of course you know i don't have any idea what was in any of these people's minds or what's in their minds now but it seems like that rigidness uh i'm i would be surprised if there wasn't some moments where they're like um well that was not a good idea but well, this is the path we're on now so we and you know we're we have you ever watched the ken burns documentary on the v- documentary god <laughs> <laughs> that's something it's a joke it's a family joke uh, uh anyway uh doc the documentary on the vietnam war I have not seen that. Yeah, it's, it's, I haven't been on Ken Burns very often recently. No, well, it, that, it was, it was fantastic. My wife and I got sucked into it. And one of the things that was really interesting is you did see that where these politicians, you know, even, even as early as Lyndon Johnson were recognizing that they were in a situation that was untenable. And yet, They were still marching out in front of the po- public saying, Well, you can win this war because they had staked their position on that and there was no yeah. way they could back down to it and save face. Um, you know, it's, that's an ugly lesson of politics. And, yeah, and dogma. it's one of those, yeah, it's pol- amazing. Like politics
1: attracts psychopathic types of individuals. Right. Sociopath it, it's almost like is what I, what I always call well, it. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it's more of the sociopaths, but, yeah. but you know, it attracts it attracts that sort of. of you know, power mongering mentality at right. times. And they, they can't, they cannot let themselves, you know, get an egg in their face ever,
0: ever. <laughs> well, then, yeah, because and, you might not get reelected, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that, and, and you know, it's interesting because you know how opposite that is from a sci- from actually doing real science. Well, like, I, I have my it. suspicions. Well, well, I mean, think about it. Like the, the crux of doing science is the admission that you could be wrong. Like you're literally trying to find any way you can to prove yourself wrong. Right. That's the point. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, that's why it's so exciting when you actually feel like you have something really important to say, Mm -hmm. like uh, that you're now you've hit something on a, on a level of certainty that is so much better than what you had. And yet you still have to be out there saying like, I'm putting this out there in order for anybody else to put it to prove it wrong. Right. And throw me down. That's that that is that's the nature of what we're doing. Right. And that it's amazing when you, you know, to to kind of see a lot of the the kind of public. The public-facing scientists that are you know the, the the pop scientists now who are who just ha- seem to have no end to their level of certainty pronouncements <laughs> yeah it, it's like what the the Neil deGrasse Tyson tweet that got you know shot down by Steakums <laughs> right uh, in the la- Steakums last weekend, is on right? a roll man <laughs> yeah well it, we're in you know NGT was basically saying right that uh that uh, you know, the great thing about science is that it, it's true, even if you don't believe it. And it's like, it, well, uh, 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 there, there's so much wrong with that. It's, I feel like I'm, I'm like the Luke Skywalker quote from the Last Jedi is like every
0: single word that just came out of your mouth was <laughs> wrong. It's wrong. And amazing, <laughs> right? You know, like, <laughs> How'd you do that? Yeah. <laughs> How'd you do that? <laughs> so here's a question for you. It's kind of a loaded question. Oh boy. How, you know, we've got the science. How do you make policy on something that? Admittedly, could be proved wrong. Ooh, well,
1: that perhaps the the first admissible thing in, in such a in, in such an argument would be uh, perhaps if you're you know your your uh, the, the your ability and power to. You know, is perhaps a bit bigger than it should be if you're
0: going to be making these sorts of pronouncements to begin with. <laughs> that's that's exactly the answer that that, that <laughs> well, I that I was kind of trolling for there.
1: Yeah, but but I mean, there's also like there's other things like you know you could kind of consider um, that you know perhaps the the uh, opportunity then is to not um, is to not. Leverage the the influence that you have toward ordering people around, but rather toward providing a an atmosphere or environment where the information is just available. Yeah, um, I, that's like, for instance, I, I hate to kind of put it this way, but probably my favorite favorite government organization, if you will, whatever, is uh, <laughs> is NIST, uh, the National Institute of Standards and, Standards and Technology. Okay, um, because I didn't know they that was are, a thing. Yeah, well, it, it's it's kind of a neat place. They have you know they do a lot of neat stuff. Yeah. Um, but their their mission is really to be a, a kind of uh the it, sometimes it's called the industry's Nas- national lab. Okay. And uh, the idea being that they are they're there not to try and um and and uh, weaponize policy by any means, uh, but rather to uh, be a vehicle for development of standardized technology, period. Mm-hmm. In other words, things like they, – they were a huge um, uh, mover and shaker in the last couple of years in, in fine-tuning definitions of the universal constants, okay. for instance. And that's like – that yes, these are things that are you know don't get me wrong. Any of this stuff could be conceivably done on the free market. I get it. Right. I'm totally on board with that. Right. <laughs> but if we're gonna if this in terms of like second bestism, you know, in a, in a way like this is probably one that I'd rather see. You know, than any number of other types of things that the government might do,
0: right? Like blow up people overseas.
1: <laughs> yeah, like blow up people overseas, or yeah. put you know people in cages for prohibition and exactly. things like that. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of ways that uh, that I could, you know, a lot of things I would eliminate first, but uh, you know, th- these sorts of things can work if you're going to have any type of policy at all. You know. Bringing these sorts of standardized methods into bear and whatnot, mm-hmm. consulting with industry in order to help make it happen, right. uh, coming up with kind of consortium models, mm-hmm. it, like these, these things are at least conceivable, right? And they're better than just here's a top-down, we're gonna you know shove it down everybody's throats.
0: Now, you know, you're talking about making suggestions putting the information out there and i think that's been a big struggle particularly looking at the pandemic yeah um where all of your information is coming from government sources and it seems like well it doesn't seem like there's there's well, obviously a some information is is being censored yeah it's been tricky. Um,
1: one of the interesting things, you know, not not to just you know re, re, rebut you right off the bat. Well, but no, feel free. One one thing that's interesting has been the release of a lot of information um, into the public square. And for instance, a lot of a lot of journals, uh, which are often behind paywalls and whatnot, academic right, like right. peer reviewed journals and whatnot, often behind paywalls anything related to infectious disease has pretty much just been opened up. Um, like, there's so, especially if it's related to coronavirus, uh, anything related to coronaviruses in general, mm-hmm. it, almost all of it just got instantly opened up. And the NIH uh, just, you know, a lot of it, a lot of their journals and and what's registered there, uh, especially if it was if funded publicly, um, you know, from grant monies or whatnot, uh, already is in open access, and they opened up even more stuff. Right, and so there there has been a lot of, I mean, almost information overload on yeah. some level, and that's I think perhaps underappreciated to to an extent by the the, the world at large is just how much. Information and knowledge was generated um, by by academia, by industry, mm-hmm. and was put out there in peer reviewed journals, in white papers, in uh, you know working working papers. Uh, just all, uh, amazing amounts of data and uh, and studies that were put forward, and uh, like to the extent it's almost like watching science happen in fast forward mode. Right. Um, so what it, what I don't Maybe I don't fully appreciate, you know, when people say like, "Oh, this certain data is being censored." I'm not sure what that is at times, right? Because, for instance, I'll, I'll, I'll I could a really interesting example of this was the hydroxychloroquine debate. Mm-hmm. Okay, and people were saying things like, "Oh, well, the information is being is being pushed out. is not right. It's not being it's not out there, but." Every time somebody said that, it was like within 24 hours you could find yet another study <laughs> that right. was that was either in process or getting peer reviewed or that was already getting published. Right. Uh, that that was m- providing more information, better knowledge, better data on the on the hypothesis of does hydroxychloroquine actually work? Right. And it ultimately turned out that it didn't. That's okay. We figured it out so much faster right. than otherwise because there was so much interest right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Yes, it took some time to get the appropriate studies done and uh, to where we could do things like double-blind trials and whatnot. Um, but you know, the plural of anecdote is not data. When somebody just you know comes out of their clinic and says, well, I prescribed hydroxychloroquine to five people right. and they went and they were fine. Right. I'm sorry. That's not good enough. That's not sure. a good standard for making – uh, a clinical assessment, you know, <laughs> and so on. I mean, I think that so. I, I, again, I'm I'm when so when when we say there was data being censored or information being censored, like I don't fully know what we're looking for in that respect. Like, what were we expecting to
0: see? What right. Would, what, uh, well, I'll give you an example. I mean, just if I, I, maybe I'm thinking more broadly. Maybe the problem isn't so much in this the the science community. As it is in the information community, in the world of journalism, and and that type of thing. Um, But when you see, you know. Tom Woods doing a talk about the ineffectiveness of lockdowns and it being uh, taken off of YouTube. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking okay. about where, where you have legitimate policy debates and we've decided, no, this is the correct policy and we're not going to let anybody talk about yeah. anything that is contrary to to the path that we have chosen. Um, you know th- and, and you see this a little bit with the with the vaccines. Um, yeah, you know you, ca- you can't I think, I think it is fair to be skeptical of a newly produced vaccine sure you know i don't think that's unreasonable um we're not allowed yeah. to have that discussion we go get the damn vaccine uh, basically yeah. as, as <laughs> what. All, yeah. well you know i
1: mean it, th- that, that's an it's an interesting point i mean it's like i don't think there's any problem with anybody saying like what No, let me let me rephrase that i don't think there's been a huge backlash against uh, the idea that like okay well i don't want to be the first monkey shot into space right you know, but now, like, uh, and you know, so, so what do we do? We, we, I think people should be allowed to, uh, you know, to assess their own risk and, and whether or not they want to be amongst those first monkeys shot in the space, right? Right, that's fine. You know, if you want to do that, it's fine, right? And now, like, they, they've, I think, we've got what a whole lot of monkeys shot into space, right? And so
0: now it feels a lot better if you want to be a monkey shot into space. Right. So. <laughs> I mean, I still don't want to be a monkey shot into space, but, well, but, but, for, but for me, it's, it's be a whole lot of monkeys up there. For me, it is a, it is, it is a risk analysis. Yeah. Because I feel like that being exceptionally healthy for, for a 50, whatever old I am old, <laughs> um, you know, the, the risk of me having a severe, uh, problem with the coronavirus if i get it and i think quite frankly i think i've already had it but that's that's a whole different story um but if i were to get it i think the likelihood of me having a bad outcome is is pretty low yeah i think the likelihood of me having uh an issue getting vaccinated is pretty low but i don't know what's going to happen in five years so for me the risk is I, i just don't Feeling so you, inclined to do so you it. don't,
1: yeah. So you don't feel like there's a big consequence to waiting,
0: right? Long. Now, if I was, if I was 75 years old and had, you know, diabetes yeah. or something like that, I would probably, uh, you, you know, like think differently. Like my my mom, I, you know, who's, who's battling cancer, I would certainly not say, oh, you shouldn't go get vaccinated. You know, that would be, yeah, kind of nutty. <laughs> um, yeah, it would it, be a problem. You know, and and maybe that gets to you know the whole idea that. Um, that humanity wants you know we want the one size fits all solution and and that's not a thing
1: correct oh my goodness yeah so that all the the types of questions that you're asking are those of Mm trade-offs and trade-offs are economic decisions and not purely based on the on scientific data right uh per se you know we we uh Humans are characteristically bad, by the way, at, at really assessing risk. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And which is, I mean, you can kind of understand this, you know, even just based on our own kind of ancient history is that if, you know, if you're if you're a hunter-gatherer and you hear, you know, a, a, a funny sound in the woods, uh, you know, 9, 999 times out of a thousand, it's probably nothing. Right. But the one time it's a tiger. <laughs> right. You're you in know, trouble. You're, you're in trouble. Yeah. So what do you do? Every time you run. Right. <laughs> so we're kind of accustomed to, you know, in in instinctively uh, read our scenarios as um, as looking to avert losses. Right. Uh, we we feel loss aversion more strongly than um, than uh, gains, yeah. if you will. Yeah. And so as a result, we th- this this has a a strange effect on our calculus internally of risk sure and so you know if you understand risk as okay it is a combination of the uh the uh, the effects or the intensity or the uh the 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 consequence uh of whatever is you know is the is the potential you know, problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, the severity—that's the word I'm looking for. The, the, it's a it's a product of the severity of the pro of the of the consequence and the probability that that thing might occur. Right. And so what? And and so we we know this when we can you know we we can analyze this and if we think it through critically, we realize that this okay, this is how I'm supposed to think about this. But um, often we're we're very much attuned to just the loss side oh. rather than the probability side. Right. Right. And so what you, when you were describing your own situations, like, okay, I'm, I feel like I'm, you know, relatively low risk as an individual. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but, and, and in terms of, uh, both get receiving a vaccine and having a negative reaction and also of overall, uh, being a problem, uh, if I developed COVID. Right. Um, so you don't feel like, all right. So then, you know, you say okay my risk is relatively low in both cases. Mm-hmm. So now I just need to decide all right well what what can what I, what can I mitigate and what am I comfortable with. Right. So if you feel comfortable in your particular lifestyle right now you're like okay I'm doing doing good the way I am in the in the, my social interactions in my life right now. You know I don't need to push for getting a vaccine as quickly as possible. Yeah.
0: That's a calculus decision that you you make. And you're right to do that, right? And it may not be good. I mean, you know, yeah. I, you have to confess when you, when you talk about you can't take emotion out of that equation either. Sure. Um, you know, you look at the person who is petrified will not get on an airplane and yet drives around yeah. in a car all the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's yeah. not rational. But that's how well, they no, feel Well, no,
1: about it's it. it's rational, but it's not. Let's, let's let's be clear. Like let's let's use the Misesian definition of irrational here. Okay. Right? Okay, it's rational because they're they're making a, a they're taking action based on what they perceive to be in their own best interest right 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 but it's not logical because it doesn't it doesn't accurately assess the
0: probabilities and and severities involved in the in the right. activities that they're undergoing so i'll i'll make a confession when it comes to the vaccine there's honestly a little part of me that's like i'm not doing this because they want me to so badly <laughs> you know i mean it's actually, yeah. that's part of my personality it's like yeah. don't touch this okay well i'm gonna touch it because you told me not to yeah i, I blame my stepdad for that but I, isn't
1: it interesting <laughs> that like it's there's a lot of people out there that don't that don't get this when it comes to um when it comes to you know even doing public policy in general, mm-hmm. uh, it's like the it's like I, I love uh, I'll, I'll use another Star Wars quote here uh, because I, I'm a Star Wars nerd and so I, I use a lot of Star Wars analogies. I support you this. know yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know Le- Leia tells uh, Tarkin in, in Episode four you know like the more the more you tighten your grip the, the more star, star systems, systems go through your fingers through your fingers yes. and that's what exactly what happens in in these sorts of uh, of scenarios for people mm-hmm. I don't think people seem to realize that there are folks out there who, if you tell them, if you start trying to order them around, they are going to put up resistances. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you go to them as a, a, and treat them like equals rather than inferiors, um, then you're going to have much better effects. If, if Donald Trump himself Goes up to my conservative father-in-law and orders him to wear a mask. He's probably going to say no.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> right. That's that's what's going to happen. Right. But if but if I come up to him and say, hey, you know, hey, father-in-law, um, I think that based on you know, based on my the most the best knowledge that I've got to this, I think you're going to be better off in the in what we're going to do when we're going to go out to the grocery store or whatever. I think you, you'd be best off. You know, wearing a mask there. And you know what? He'll listen to me. Yeah. Because there's relational uh, authority there. There's – is also not trying to order him around. Right. It's trying to, it's trying to give – give treat him like a person rather
0: than a peon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've uh, been going for almost an hour now, so – Oh, my goodness. I <laughs> know, right? It's like, um, it's like we – Feels like we just started. <laughs> I want to circle back to to another meta and just get your thoughts on it because I think a lot of this hinges on what I'm about to say. Oh, I think when you look at this, the 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 pop devotion to science, mm-hmm. or uh, the evangelical rejection of science because Genesis one says so and so. And the libertarian uh, uh, impulse to try to solve every single problem of human interaction with the libertarian the uh, not that was it theology, uh, yeah. maybe it is a theology in in mm-hmm. some sense to some folks uh, the philosophy. I think a lot of this is rooted in something that is innate in human beings: is we want to control basically everything. Yep. So we're looking for an ism or a philosophy or a doctrine or a dogma that we can uh, that we can have that will explain everything, and then we can just go on with our lives because we have everything solved. and And I think this, I think this filters into Christianity in a sense where we want to have the checklist. You know, mm-hmm. we do X, Y, and Z, and God has to accept us because we did X, Y, and Z. daggone it. <laughs> yeah. So in a sense, we're trying to control God. And maybe this all goes back to this whole sinful notion that we can be like God. What are your thoughts on that?
1: There's a lot to unpack there. Uh it's it is remarkable that even scientists do not understand oftentimes the nature of their own philosophy. Hmm. Uh, I I always thought it was funny by the for instance that you know during my PhD studies, you know, a PhD is a doctorate in philosophy, right? Okay. Yet I never took a philosophy class. I never was instructed by my mentors in, you know, Hey there, there's this uh, there, there's such a thing as the philosophy of science and you might want to know something about that yeah <laughs> and maybe maybe you know read some Karl Popper or some Thomas Kuhn or, or Michael Polanyi or uh, these other folks who are seminal thinkers in the in the field. I actually know Karl Popper is. Oh but well, very good man there you go yeah. I took some, and, I took
0: uh, some science classes in college. Yeah? I actually yeah. started out pre-med so I went all the way to oh. like, organic chemistry which I almost <laughs> failed and thus left pre-med. <laughs> funny
1: story when i went to Rolla uh, as my undergrad uh, i uh, i had done a number of hours in community college as, as a uh, you know to kind of get a head start right. so i started as a essentially like a sophomore in in as in a, a university student right and uh, my first chemistry class was actually organic chemistry and so imagine if you will a whole bunch of sophomores getting getting uh, utterly crushed by the freshman <laughs> who came in in organic chemistry. That was, uh, uh yeah, fun. it was, uh, it was funny, yeah. but, but it, it was also a great experience because my first teacher there, um, uh, invited me to do research with her, uh, over the course of the next year. Oh, very and cool. And it was an incredibly formative experience, yeah. uh, for me, um, in, in, it very much convincing me that I wanted to continue doing research. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, but nonetheless, uh, but I guess the, going back to it, though, is that you know scientists often don't understand their own philosophy. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I think sometimes scientists will miss out on one of the most formative things that needs to happen as a scientist, as a practicing scientist, and that is to learn uh, how to be humble and honest in yep. all of what you're doing. Because as we were discussing earlier, I, all, I have to... Posit from the outset of what i am doing as a scientist that i could be wrong and i am trying very hard to prove that to be to be so mm-hmm. <laughs> if i can demonstrably show that i am wrong then i have to then that allows me then to it, it actually is a freeing experience right. on some level you've done it right yeah well yeah <laughs> you've you've if you can disprove something, you know that that's no longer the case. Right. And and we there's there's a lot of discussions that happen even at the academic level about like, um, you know, the the problem of not being able to often report uh, negative results. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We are we are very much always pressured in to show positive results for right. things, but that's that actually like so there's this kind of push and pull of of what we are. Of what people want to see versus what our philosophy says we need to be right. And that is perhaps a, a, a kind of an interesting object lesson uh, for, for a lot of life yeah. on some level.
0: Yeah. I think, I think well, that's what I was, that's exactly what I was thinking as you were saying that, I mean, this is, we should probably approach pretty much everything with that kind of, yeah. with that kind of mindset. And, and yeah,
1: especially, I mean, even as it pertains to, the way in which we interact theologically mm-hmm. with people uh, is that there's, you know, we is why we have differences, or, or we we differentiate what is dogma versus what is doctrine versus what is opinion, right? And why we should be, you know, we should hold fast uh, to dogma, and it's what we're we're united around, whether we're you know, Church of Christ like me, or Lutheran, or 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 Presbyterian, or whatever, right? Versus the types of doctrines that we hold, which do have. You know, maybe some say, very significant differences in mm. the way that we think about things, uh, but we're we're not unified around that in the same way, right? Uh, versus opinions, where you know that could be a whole lot of different.
0: <laughs> we, we got all kinds of that out there,
1: yeah. yeah. Or, or preferences, even. You right. Know, I, I, I'm a Church of Christ kid. I like my acapella music and things. Right. You know, that's definitely not what modern evangel- uh, y-
0: evangelism. Well, do evangelicalism. Do you evangelicalism does your, hymn, does your hymn book have the little like shape notes? Shape notes. Yeah.
1: Yep, I, I, uh, yeah. Certain ones do, certain ones don't. I don't actually read shape notes. I just read music. Yeah,
0: I, I was taught by my mama. <laughs> the only reason I know <laughs> anything about shape notes is one of my best friends growing up. His mom was Primitive Baptist. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And They're not so, television too. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so and she had a shape note hym- hymnal in the house, and I picked it up one day. I was like, "What is this?" My, my dad can read shape notes. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, it's always been impressive, but I, I learned solfege, so i'm I'm like a sound of music kid, I guess. yeah, so <laughs> I do everything by ear, so I don't read anything. Yeah, you know. oh well <laughs> <laughs> i i I had a, a whole lot of uh, of uh, musical training as a uh, well as a young churchman, I guess you might yeah. say <laughs>
0: now i can I can read music, but i generally like I can't sight read very well, so it's for me, it's very much a uh, right to auditory listen <laughs> mock what i hear so
1: <laughs> all right all okay. right but anyway but yeah like these things are these things are really important i think to to remember about who we are uh you know as social beings right uh that there's so many things that we should be circumspect about you know about ourselves and about what we believe about mm-hmm. what we think and just being you know Willing, willing to be humble is a, is something that, you know, we, we can never stop learning. Yep. And it's hard. Yeah. Humility for sure. is hard, especially. For- Science does get you, I think, I, I think that if you're willing to, if, if you're willing to take your lumps and, and go and go through the process, it is a great way of learning how to be humble. Yeah. Um, because it, it kind of requires you to be so. Mm-hmm. It's it, like there are those, you know, the, the awful scientists out there who really do think they know everything and are God's gift to man. Right. And science. I'm looking at you, NGT. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, those are, those are much fewer and far between from the really good people out there who are doing good work mm. and are finding ways of improving people's lives. Uh, a lot of us will never understand. I mean, yeah. it's like, it's like eye pencil on steroids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it, it, there's so much out there to learn and to, uh, and to build upon. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, the th- I mean, just what I've, I've had the opportunity to learn in my own professional career, uh, like there's so much to do, and there's so many cool things out there to learn, and there's so many opportunities uh, to serve your fellow man and to do interesting, interesting things.
0: Well, I'm glad there's scientists like you out there. Oh, doing, doing those things, and like like you said, I'm sure that there's a lot of them. It's like the same thing, you know. Journalism gets a bad rap, but there are a lot of really good reporters and journalists out there that are trying, you know, to to do. A, yeah Uh, good reporting and good you know tell good stories and and shed light on the truth and sometimes the institutions that are stacked on top of them make it very difficult to see the good work that's out there and i'm sure that's probably true in the world of science too because what you know what gets uh projected as science in in the kind of mainstream eyes probably very little of what actually is going on in the scenes. Like you said, you've got all these people that are doing these research and writing these journal articles and doing all of this, this uh, trench work that, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't, you don't hear about those dudes. Yep. You hear about Fauci and, and uh, the politicos (laughs) and whatnot. (laughs) Yeah. So what's going on over at LCI that people need to know about? Oh man. Well, the big, the big thing for us this
1: year is really promoting our book, Faith Seeking Freedom. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the, that is our uh, book, inspired in many respects by uh, our, our wonderful forebears, uh, the, such as Mary Ruart and her "Short yeah. Answers to Tough Questions." This book is, you know, our own kind of take on a, on kind of this sort of thing. And so, the Faith Seeking Freedom is libertarian Christian answers to tough questions. Yeah, it's a great book, and uh, it's a, yeah, it's just about you know about 140 pages long and goes through over 100 questions that we feel are are really you know the types of things that Christians. Often have asked us, mm-hmm. or that we think that you know, lead on from things that that they do feel are important and will want to ask and will want to know about. Uh, so that's that's really our big thing for the year. Um, yeah. Besides that, we're really just trying to to grow and expand, uh, inviting people to uh, to participate uh, either as. As uh, as as authors, as you know, writers who want to spread the word, as people who want to you know, we want to support the work in other ways, whether that's through your donation or your time or your other types of efforts. Uh, we're just we're wanting to build on that and uh, and just kind of we really you know want to accomplish this mission of, of of equipping the church to promote a free society. Yeah, and to do that, we we you know we don't know all the things that we're going to need to do in order to get there. Right, right? but we're going to keep listening to our people. And being responsive to the needs that we see as best we can, and uh, we see ourselves as really being right now in the kind of content generation phase, yeah. where we're trying to build an edifice of thought uh, and provide people with continuous value all the time uh, that they can that they can you know see us and trust us that we are going to do the best we can to provide them with a solid uh, a solid knowledge base. To go to when that, when they want to inquire and learn about what it means to be a Christian in today's world, where in a, in a world that is characterized by aggression
0: mm-hmm. and where we want to live otherwise. Yeah, uh, I will give you a plug. Oh, um, cool. back back in the day, like I don't know how long ago it was, but um, when I was first starting to try to put together my faith and my libertarian thought in a coherent way. So I, I kind of you know I was a Christian and then I came into libertarian philosophy and then there came a point was like okay I, I really need to integrate my worldview so that I'm not you know have everything in silos and libertarian Christian Institute was the first thing that I ran across that had content that started helping me make sense of a lot of these uh, a lot of these things and that was in the early days I mean it was. Uh, uh-huh. Um, it, it was like a pretty rough web, website at the time, but the, the content. <laughs> the <pretty> LCI then. <laughs> yeah, the the yeah. content though is what you know. I remember yeah. that I think actually you wrote uh, a couple of uh, articles on Romans thirteen. You know, that, those resources are fantastic, and it's only grown since then. Um, so I, I would encourage everybody who's listening to who wants to avail yourself of uh, of the vast resources that are over at LCI and of course I will link to that stuff on the show notes page as well
1: oh, thanks thanks Mike you're very kind and you know we, we very much value what you've done as well uh, and we're so thankful for all the work that you've done in bringing you know, your Godarchy into being and being active in our community and, el- and elsewhere and doing so much for, for the movement and for the sake of the cross. So, you know, uh, we just love you and appreciate
0: you. Well, back at you. <laughs> so with with the uh, mutual admiration society, we will uh, oh well we'll, we'll close it out. But I do really do appreciate you taking the time to talk about this and and being willing to kind of be my guinea pig. Because like I said, I really didn't. I had a vague idea of where I wanted to go, and I think we, I think we hit the highlights and, and probably went much farther than I even imagined. So I really do appreciate you. Uh, taking the time to be on the show and and talk about this because I think it's important it's important subject for us as Christians and libertarians and human beings living in this world to kind of try to make sense of of uh, the world of science and, and the role that it plays in our uh, in our thinking and policy even. Awesome, yeah. And if there's anything I can leave everybody with,
1: it's it's that. It's time. It's time to be, you know, very self-critical, very self-reflective in all of these things. Let's keep learning. Let's keep uh, striving forward, and and just being the best we can be in this regard. Whether that's, you know, whether you're trying to learn theology or trying to learn science, let's get it all. Let's get it all worked out together. Love it. All right. Thanks
0: again, man. All right. Thank you, Mike. She blinded me with science. I can't get that song out of my head. Uh... Fantastic conversation with Norman. I really appreciate him coming on the show again. Uh, do check out what's going on over at the Libertarian Christian Institute. They're doing f- fantastic work, uh, as I mentioned, on the show. Uh, they were a big part in in providing resources for me as I was trying to put together my own uh, you know, kind of coherent worldview with my political outlook, my political beliefs, and my faith. So, uh, a lot of fantastic resources over at LCI. Um, I think with that, we're just going to close out the show. It's a pretty long interview, and uh, I ain't got nothing else to say. So, you know, shut up when you're ahead, right? I do want to quickly say though, if you enjoy what we're doing here at Godarchy, I covet your support. You can do that through Patreon, Patreon.com/Godarchy. You'll see our supporting listeners program over there. Um, you know, I've mentioned this before. One of the things that we do that I think is unique is 40% of my Patreon uh, receipts actually go back out to other organizations. Uh, this last month, uh, I gave a donation to an organization. Uh, down in the uh, southern border area, uh, folks that are helping out with the uh, migrant situation. So every month we try to figure out some place that we can send a little bit of money to help out to put this idea of voluntarism into action. So check that out, patreon.com slash godarchy. Uh, if you don't want to donate through Patreon, uh, there is a link at godarchy.org uh, where you can just donate through PayPal. And I appreciate that as well. But your support, again, is coveted and much appreciated. So, with that, let's wrap up the show. Make sure you visit godarchy.org. Check out what's going on over at the website, back episodes of the podcast, lots of articles. Um, And, uh, of course, social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, all those places. Links to that stuff is or are on the show notes page. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Oh Erm excuse me. You, uh, you have been listening to the God er- Ooh, the God Arky Podcast. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy
2: Spirit. with Mike Meharry. God Archie is an oh, me, oh my oh my goodness production.
0: Um, you can find us on the world wide web at GodArchy.org. Um, on the Facebook at Godarchy.org and on the Twitter at Godarchy. If you want to get in touch, email us at info at Godarchy.org, but no simple questions, please. And you can support the show at patreon.com. I mean, get in that pocketbook and get some money out. This ain't cheap to do. Erm, um, thank you for listening. Thank you. <laughs> and God bless you all. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.